TGIM Team RE. This is episode 327. Trying to stop and think about, is alcohol actually serving me? Could my life be better without it? I don't have to decide right now whether I'm powerless and figure all this stuff out. I just need to kind of get back to basics. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Chloe. Chloe took her last drink on June 7th, 2020. She is from the UK and she is 32 years old. And before we get started, I wanted to give a special thank you and shout out to Brainwashed Coffee. Not only is Brainwashed Coffee sponsoring all of our coffee needs for our upcoming Bozeman retreat, but they also donate 50% of their profit to recovery organizations. I've talked about the fact that alcohol use disorder and addiction is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. That's why Brainwashed Coffee works to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. Brainwashed Coffee is also offering a 20% discount to all of our listeners. Head over to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR at checkout to receive this discount. That's ELEVATOR for a 20% discount on all of your coffee orders. Gracias, Brainwashed. All right, let's work on finding your better you. I found an old note the other day and probably written it a few months ago. I can't remember where I heard this, but it was an analogy between trust and video games. You see, trust is one of those big concepts the eye roll concepts, (laughs) like acceptance or like surrender, where it just seems like a big heavy boulder or a dictionary in a language you can't understand. Where do I start with this concept? I have a brother. His name is Charlie. We are three years apart. When I think about growing up, I think of my brother Charlie and I playing video games. Lots and lots of video games. We had so much fun. My dad used to be amazing at Super Mario, and as soon as we were old enough to play, he got us a console. We would spend hours on that thing. We would go from level to level, sometimes getting stuck in the same spot for hours, thinking that we could never get it, that we would never be able to make that super high jump without falling into the ditch. Next thing you know, we made it, and we were on our way to Bowser's castle. Sometimes we wouldn't make it, though. We would stay stuck and then my mom would call us for dinner so we would have to take a break. Thank goodness there was a save button. We could save the game, come back later with a clear head and a full belly. We could always try again later. We trusted the process. We were excited for the unknown. Would the next level have fire rings or moving platforms we would have to jump onto at the right time? And somehow we knew that working on the current level was in a way practice for what was to come. We didn't know what the next level would look like, but we were, in a way, training for it. And more importantly, having fun. Trust is like that. You don't have to lean into it entirely. You can take it baby steps at a time. You can try and approach it from a place of excitement instead of a place of fear. Trust is earned. And with every decision that you make for yourself in terms of protecting your sobriety and doing the next right thing for your journey then the next level of the video game of trust is unlocked. 
and you are ready for it and you are deserving of it. Trusting the process comes with being in the process. And simply by listening to this show today, you're in it already. You don't have to know how you're going to get all the way to Bowser's Castle yet. You just have to trust that whatever you do today will get you closer to that. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Chloe, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me straight away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in the community. People all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my own journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and to sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Chloe, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Ada. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on the show, and let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink? My last drink was the 7th of June, 2020. 7th of June 2020 and how are you feeling so far? It's been good it's been a bit of a crazy journey but I feel really great at the moment. Awesome and can you give listeners a little background can you let us know where you're from do you have a family what do you do for a living and what do you like to do for fun? Yeah sure so I'm 32 I live in the UK as you can tell by my accent I don't have a family but I do have a dog which um use my family um, and the fun I love going out uh, with dog walking running anything active and that's all we do in lockdown at the moment so <laughs> that's been about it yeah it's uh we're still in this we're still trying to figure out this new normal yeah yeah Chloe thank you and can you give listeners oh by the way dogs totally count as family i my dog is my family as well, so I love that you said that. <laughs> and can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking? Can you let us know when you started, when you realized alcohol was no longer serving you, and when did you decide to quit? Yeah, so I started drinking probably about age 15, and I was a binge drinker, and it was really kind of normal in my friendship circles for quite a few years, and it didn't kind of occur to me it was a problem until kind of my mid to late 20s 
And then I realised that I had to do something about it. And I started listening to the podcast, which probably really early days in the podcast. And um, my journey kind of started from there. And I did have just over a year of sobriety and then had kind of quite a long relapse. And kind of now kind of I'm, ha- I'm eight, eight and a bit months sober. Sorry, that was a bit all over the place. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. What got you on the trajectory of thinking that you had to quit? Let's backtrack a little bit more about when you were actively drinking. Was it just your thoughts or were you not functioning and avoiding responsibility? Like, tell me a little bit more about your relationship with alcohol when you realized that it was becoming a problem. Yeah, sure. So I think um, I realized that I couldn't drink the amount that I wanted to drink and still function. Like, I would want to drink more than I could kind of get away with drinking because I'd just be so hungover all the time that I couldn't go to work and I was kind of skipping days of work I wasn't able to really do anything that I wanted to in life so I kind of I thought that I was drinking too much I didn't necessarily think I had a proper drinking problem that I was an alcoholic but at that point I was trying to moderate and I remember I kind of I gave up for three weeks then it was torturous it was really hard and at that point, I couldn't imagine a life without alcohol because it seemed like the only kind of really good thing in my life, the thing I looked forward to. But as I tried to kind of moderate and cut down, it just got worse and worse. And I got more, it got more out of control and I got really depressed. And my life just kind of spiraled. Um, I was in this really bad relationship. I was really isolated and I ended up being so depressed that I tried to commit suicide and put into a kind of a treatment program for depression um like an inpatient treatment program and I thought the problem was depression but when I was there I was sneaking alcohol in and it didn't occur to me then that I was that alcohol was the problem and alcohol was causing the depression or at least not making it any better I just didn't kind of link the two. I just thought there was something else wrong with me. So all the treatment I had for, for depression never really worked. I had lo- I had loads of different types of therapy, did all sorts of things. And then I discovered AA and that really helped me to realise that the problem was drinking and that I could have a happy life without drinking. Thank you for sharing. That was vulnerable. And I'm curious about this thought process where even when you were going through the depression treatment, you didn't think that alcohol was the problem. And like you said, it was probably a main contributor to the depression. But did the doctors or people that you were being treated by, did they ask about alcohol? Because, you know, a lot of the times I think what happens is like, we'll go to the doctor and they ask, like, how much do you drink a week? And I remember just lying on those questionnaires those intake forms so do you think that part of you kind of did know that that was a part of the problem but you were just not ready to let it go or how did any alcohol questions come up I'm just curious because it is kind of something that is asked when approaching treatment for things like this so did were you just like not ready or where was your mind at with it I played it down a bit Mm. and I didn't kind of say how much I was drinking, but I thought that everyone did that. I thought that was really normal, that no one would tell the truth. And I knew that alcohol wasn't helping, and the most sensible 
best thing to do for my depression would be to not drink but it was just such a crutch it was just it felt like the only thing I had to look forward to and the only thing that was getting me through so I couldn't kind of I couldn't get my head around stopping yeah and just trying to figure out what life would look like without it is sometimes what gets a lot of us stuck in that cycle where we're not wanting to even ask for the help or admit that we think it may be a contributing factor to our overall well-being because we just we don't know what it would be like to not have it around so so how did you even stumble or get to that AA meeting how did did it just started getting so bad that you were like man I do need to go somewhere or how did you even from thinking that you didn't have a problem to trying AA how did you even get there um I guess the more I tried to moderate the drinking and control it the more out of control it got mm. up until the point that I did one of those online quizzes yeah and I think I was just a yes for pretty much everything and I went to AA thinking that they might I thought maybe I could just go in and get some of the tips and then I'd be able to cut down on my drinking but it doesn't quite work like that and I think in the in AA I just heard I heard people saying all this stuff about how they felt inside and I really related to it and I realized that my problem wasn't the depression it was how I was thinking and how I was using alcohol and it was just really dysfunctional and they seemed to be able to have a happy functional life without alcohol and that just completely changed my my thinking about it it became like not drinking is a possibility and I could be happy yeah and it made you realize it sounds like drinking was but a symptom and as we say mm. like it was not just a crutch but just a way to cope right with with a lot and and it's always the best i think community we talk a lot about community and one of the best things for me about it is hearing my story and other people's stories and it sounds like that happened to you and that's what got you feeling like maybe not so out of place because i do feel like we hear a lot of stories of when people people try to quit or try to find community or go to their first meeting it's awkward. It's like your first day of school and, and you don't know if you belong or not. But the moment someone says something that you're like, wait, were you talking about my life or your life? That's when you're like, oh, maybe there's something here that can benefit me, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. What happened after that meeting? Did you start attempting abstaining completely or did you continue with your moderation attempts? I stopped for a bit and then I relapsed and then... I went into another treatment program and kind of got properly sober and did the 12 steps and everything and was sober for just over a year, which was great. But I did have some niggles in the back of my mind about whether I could go back to drinking. And eventually I did. And the reason being was I got into this relationship with a man and... Um, that just kind of de destabilized me a bit because I think like a lot of people have kind of a lot of stuff around relationships that can be quite triggering and he was drinking and I wanted to kind of be part of that so I did end up drinking after that year of sobriety and it was okay for a bit but then as it progressed I just couldn't get back in I thought that I would be able to 
drink and then decide when I would stop and I just couldn't and it was about 18 months of trying to stop and I just couldn't even get a couple of days sober it just got worse and worse and my head I was going mad trying to rationalize all this stuff I'd heard in AA about powerlessness and whether there was any point me trying to stop because I was just going to fail again it was just a big muddle of drinking Mm -hmm. and AA stuff in my head and in that period I read Paul's book and it really helped me to keep on trying to keep on trying to stop and think about is alcohol actually serving me could my life be better without it I don't have to decide right now whether I'm powerless and figure all this stuff out I just need to kind of get back to basics and keep on trying even if I just get one day sober that's good progress just keep on trying I love that you shared so many good things in the last few minutes I am taking notes as fast as I can and kind of working my way backwards to our conversation don't quit quitting. You know, I keep thinking about that. I keep thinking about a lot of people that reach out to us and, you know, it's day one again, day one again. I have a close friend who I've been rooting for for a few years and he's had months of sobriety and then months that he chooses to go out and drink again and then months of sobriety again. He sent me a photo with all of his uh, bottles from his home bar and he sent me a photo holding it and say, saying I emptied my bar at home attempting this yet again, you know, and, and I messaged him back and I said, yes. And like, continuous sobriety is the goal, but all of the other chunks of sobriety are never in vain. And this Mm -hmm. story sometimes isn't told the one of, I kept trying, you know, don't quit quitting, keep trying. And it's all part of the journey. So I'm really grateful that you're bringing this up. And I'm really thankful for you sharing because what I wanted to ask and share too is I don't want to speak on your behalf but something else that you mentioned on was that when you relapsed after that one year of continuous sobriety that you had you were in a new relationship dynamics were changing and he was drinking and and I felt really empathetic to that because I feel and this is speaking for my own experience that the times that I had relapses I did it because of very similar reasons. I wanted to fit in almost as that sounds mm-hmm. like we only do that when we're younger or teenagers, but it it comes into our adulthood as well. I wanted to have fun and fit in and, and, and be part of relationships that I wasn't ready to, you know, accept that things were going to have to change if I was going to choose sobriety. And that's when I went out to drinking. So when you went back to drinking a few times before this stretch that you have now, have you identified kind of like the rel- the relapse reason? Was it similar to mine? Just like, I want to be a part of this and I'm not ready to give it up. I think the reason was part of that. I thought that I could kind of have a bit more fun with alcohol and mm-hmm. that I'd be able to stop again and kind of get back to sobriety. I guess I didn't realize how insidious addiction is and how precious my sobriety was. And I couldn't just throw it away, which is something I've really learned now. Because it's like we were saying earlier, when you're in that place where you keep stopping and starting, it's absolute hell. It's like being torn in two with half of you wanting to drink, half of you wanting to stop. And I just felt crazy. And I was just kind of like spinning in circles, doing all this stuff, like all the 
um, during the day at work, I was listening to the podcasts and kind of getting all this sobriety um, literature in my head. And then at night I was drinking. But I'm so glad that I kept on doing that because, the, the, like you said, the time wasn't wasted. I had to learn those lessons and I learned a lot of lessons through drinking. Yeah, the time was never wasted. And I'm really like glad that you're sharing this times when we do go back out, once we're once we've dipped our toes into sobriety a little bit, Paul jokes about it a lot, but you know, it's ruined for us. What you were chasing, which was to have more fun, to you felt like you could have more fun with alcohol. That's almost ruined. When every time I went back out, I was just like you're saying, I had all these thoughts and new concepts and and all of this sobriety knowledge that I didn't have before. I just couldn't even enjoy it. And like you, I couldn't stop as easy as before. It almost kept getting harder. So a lot of similarities here in our stories. And I'm I'm really glad you're sharing that because it's 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 not in vain. And I feel like from a brain standpoint, it's almost like your subconscious is fighting your conscious mind, right? Because you're you're trying to rewire with all of this new knowledge. You you have more self-awareness. You've you've done it before. So you know how good you're gonna feel. But it's like we keep getting betrayed by our brain it's like it takes time for both of our conscious and subconscious to be on the same page and say okay we're doing this and it definitely feels like a sense of relief because that thought process that you're sharing is so exhausting and there's so much emotional fatigue of that back and forth back and forth so once you were ready to quit and go into another sober chapter it's like oh my god our brains probably relax and they're like thank goodness yeah, emotional fatigue, that's the exact word for it. That kind of just exhaustion of being split. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and tell me, Chloe, I haven't asked anything about you sharing this with other people outside of A outside of AA. Did you along the way, did you have any friends or do you have any someone that support for you where you could kind of talk through this process or was it more just you and AA and internalizing everything? How's your support network been throughout all of this? When kind of the last bit of drinking, I was in that relationship that I, that kind of caused my relapse and he was my support, I guess, but he was drinking heavily as well, which didn't help because it kind of, it skews your perspective if you're just in this kind of drinking bubble and obviously lockdown as well. So I really had to reach out for support when I was trying to get sober again. I've got some really good friends through AA and kind of non-AA, just kind of normal friends who are really supportive and my family is really supportive as well. So I'm lucky in that sense. That's really good to know. Tell me a little bit more about your depression and did you have a moment when you were like, oh, not drinking helps the repre- the depression. Like, did you have this moment of, oh, shoot, this epiphany of that was probably making this worst? When did you discover that? Yeah, I think maybe when I was about six months sober the first time, I experienced this weird feeling, like this really good feeling. And I think it was joy and gratitude. And I, I'm sure I'd never experienced that before. And the depression was just gone. And I just felt functional. I felt like I had meaning and a reason to go on. And the only thing different was that I wasn't drinking and I was doing AA. And then you were like, "Uh (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-huh. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's awesome to hear that you connected those dots and you were able to see the tangible effect that it was having because sometimes we we need that, right? We need that validation. We need our brains to to find something concrete to hold on to. But a lot of a lot of listeners also let us know that their anxiety is often increasing as they're drinking more and then at the end even producing that drinking is producing more anxiety and then luckily it gets so much better once yeah. we decide to quit drinking it's like our body starts to heal and and, it, and it's great that you had that moment of of joy and presence and you you keep coming back to saying that you realize that you could have a good life without drinking right and mm -hmm. and we all can so yeah that's great to know and yeah. your your last drink was when we were right in the thick of COVID, you know, a few months after everything kind of started. So what happened around those dates? What got you once again on this chapter, which it's been a little bit over eight months, I think. So what happened around that timeline? So it was lockdown and here in the UK, it was really bad. So no one was really allowed to go out anywhere or do anything. So that was the perfect opportunity or excuse to just be drinking. And I guess it locked down accelerated my drinking to the point where all I was doing was drinking. I was drinking about three bottles of wine a day and then passing out and then doing that every day. And there's you can't really uh, go anywhere with that. It's not going to get better. And my last last night of drinking, I drank so much and I got into a fight with my partner at the time and I was in a blackout and I got violent with him which is very unlike me and I for some reason called the police and wanted them to take him away and they did and they didn't kind of think it was me that was being the problem um, and the next morning I just woke up and I was I was. I realised I was the one that I should have been arrested. I should have been taken away because I was so drunk and being ridiculous. And it just couldn't happen again. I couldn't risk drinking because stuff like that just kept on happening. And there's no, like, it's just not worth the risk ever for me to drink if there's a possibility that something that bad can happen. So at that point, I kind of just felt done and resigned. And I just had to throw everything I had at sobriety. I didn't know whether I wanted to do AA, whether I kind of still was on board with all of their stuff, but I did it anyway because I didn't have, well, I just wanted to do anything. I Every suggestion I'd ever heard, I tried. Um, and I just had to kind of attack sobriety and do everything within my power to not pick up a drink and stack days. And thank God it worked. It has worked so far. And it has got a lot easier since then. I'm not having to do as much work to stay sober now. It was tough, though, for the first first couple of months. Yeah, those first couple of months, especially after you said you, you drank a lot the night before, being in lockdown, mm -hmm. being alone. like um, You didn't have the chance to do much to shake things up, which is something that we like to say to encourage people, you know, maybe try something new, shake up your routine, create a new routine. And, and with being in lockdown, that was a little bit limited. And all I kept thinking about as you were sharing 
this resilience that came into you when you felt like I can't, this can't keep happening is, I wonder if she knows, like, do you know, do you look back and know like, oh my God, I'm so much stronger than I thought I was because that's all I'm thinking. I'm like, holy crap, if probably if somebody would tell us this is going to happen and this is how you're going to react, we're like, no way. And and look at you, like you, true grit. Do you, do you realize mm -hmm. kind of how you just pulled it together? That's amazing. I guess kind of looking back on it now, yeah. But life has changed so much since then. It feels like another world away, even though it was only eight and a bit months away. Definitely strengthened my self-esteem. And I, I love it when you say we can do hard things because I know that I can do hard things now and I'm starting to do all of those things I never thought was possible because, I mean, getting sober has been... It's probably the hardest thing I'm ever going to do. And I've kind of done that so far. So it's all uphill from now or downhill. Yeah. Getting sober is a huge undertaking. You know, it's a huge project. You know, I keep trying to think of these journeys as something that I'm trying to take as much shame away as I can from this because there are a lot of ups and downs. And I think, imagine it as, as this is an experiment, as it's a project. You know, there's all of these things that could go wrong and do go wrong and then and then they go great and it's just it is how it is it's not always so black or white you just choose to get sober and all of a sudden all of your life's problems go away it's it's a project and it takes time and and I bet you a lot of the tools that you learned and a lot of the things that you learned even while you were still actively drinking are paying off now you know it, it's interesting how how that works and I mean, mm. I like hearing that a lot has changed in eight months, because if you think about it from an outside perspective, many people or the general consensus is like not a lot has changed in the eight months. You know, we're still kind of stuck in this pandemic situation and, and, and it almost feels like the world is a little bit mm. stuck. And here you are getting unstuck and, and having all of these changes happen because of that decision yeah. so that's so cool yeah just because of that internal that one internal shift that I had everything in my life has changed did you immediately um, start going back to meetings like online meetings or something I didn't immediately but I did kind of get community in other ways um, but mm. I have gone back to meetings now and reconnected with with it um, over the last couple of months and by community, by other ways, sorry to double click on that, just by connecting with friends or how did, yeah, how did you create some sort of network when you were in early sobriety last year? Reaching out to friends, yes. I joined Cafe RE for a bit. I connected with people on Instagram, listened to loads of podcasts, which kind of felt like a community because they're kind of like talking in your ear. Read loads of people's stories. And there's another online community called Soberful that I got a bit involved with as well which was really helpful yeah it's so great there's so many resources out there nowadays it's it makes me feel really hopeful you know there are so many options and I'm glad you you started engaging with with more people and even like you said even Instagram accounts are helpful it's a huge community and what did you do and what do you still do if this still applies like what did you do when you get cravings what do you do when you have those hard feelings? What is your new coping mechanism or what are your strategies now? 
Well, I think when I get cravings, I think the most important thing that I've learned is to not freak out about them and not take them so seriously. Because before I used to think that if I had a craving that it meant that I was going to drink and I'd just let it overtake me and I'd overthink it. Um, but now I can just kind of know that it's normal and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that my sobriety is shaky or anything. I just, it's just a thought that's going to pop into my head. And I play the tape forward. I kind of think back on, I've got kind of these snapshots in my mind of um, times when it was really bad. And I speak to someone and exercise really helps me as well. I had to write that down. You know, having a craving doesn't mean that you're going to drink. Having a craving doesn't immediately mean that you're going to relapse. It doesn't mean that yeah. you are failing at recovery. It doesn't doesn't have to mean anything or it could mean everything. Right. So I love changing that perception over like, you know, these things are going to come to me, but I don't have to give them power or attach them to a story. I love that. I think that's very powerful because I do think we or at least I, you know, we, we second guess ourselves still. And we wonder, am I doing it right? Is this going to end well? Is this not going to end well? Like you said, you hear a lot about powerlessness, especially in the AA world. So you think like, some days I'm like, am I doomed regardless, regardless of how much I try? Is it, is it going to give me the same result? And it, little by little, I've had to kind of write a different ending to that and believe more than anything believe that there can be a different outcome because part of me for so long thought that like the only outcome is to kind of repeat these patterns and I I'm trying to really change that and and make new patterns and believe them yeah that's so important yeah completely agree yeah do you ever get any pushback from people when you decide your new choices around alcohol or have you gotten any negative feedback? I haven't in this period of sobriety, but I haven't really been around anyone. But I did. I remember I started, when I was sober before I started a new job and there was someone that said, I don't trust anyone that doesn't drink. <sighs> Which is such a ridiculous thing to say. It's the opposite. Um, it should be the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I used to think that like that, so I can get it. But it just shows how messed up our culture is around alcohol and how normalised it is to kind of drink to excess. It's just, yeah, it's sad, really. You mentioned your, you, one of your concerns was not being able to be fun or have fun with, without drinking. Have you been able to kind of remove that myth from your journey or how is that going? Oh, yes, Definitely. I think the main thing that's changed for me is my mindset about sobriety and thinking of it as this joyful, amazing journey of growth and possibility as opposed to misery and deprivation. I'm way more fun without alcohol. And I, because I'm so much, I've got so much more energy. I'm more myself. I'm more enthusiastic. I'm doing things with my life. I'm growing. I've got more people in my life more interests so yeah completely different completely changed on that I think it's one of the biggest myths that people who are trying to quit struggle with on a personal level but also on a like society level you know I I remember at the beginning we were before COVID we were having 
you know, parties or over here, Super Bowl events or things that people do around here. And I see that other people that do drink normally don't even know how to behave around sober people sometimes. Like they want to, you know, it's it's a little bit of an awkward transaction at the beginning. And I do think that there's this belief that we're just there. Like, oh, you're just not going to drink. What else are you going to do? And I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's a big narrative you know that that fun alcohol equals fun and then it's it's just interesting how we all start individually getting past that but I think is collectively it's still kind of the you know the blanket statement of like oh well if you're not going to do shots that what are you why are you even here like but for me at least personally I I can't have fun when I'm drinking anymore the times that I did go out and drink I I wasn't it was almost like I was like why I thought I it would enhance the experience, but now it does mm-hmm. the opposite completely. So it's completely the opposite belief. And I think slowly but surely, my friends who've been with me and, and stayed the course and have seen me evolve through sobriety are like, oh, she's fun. And she's <laughs> she's actually more herself and, and more authentic. And, and we're not missing out on anything but it does take some time individually and like I said I think society there's still this really ingrained belief that we're yeah when we're choosing not to drink then then why are you even at the event right and it's I hope that changes over time yeah I think it is starting to change but still yeah a big a big thing Chloe have you been able to identify triggers I think stress and Actually, celebration is a bit of a trigger for me, mm-hmm. but I, I just have to flip that on its head and think, why would I want to celebrate with some poisonous substance that is going to dull everything and it's going to take away all of the good things that I've got in my life at the moment? That's not really a celebration. It's the opposite. Yeah, that uh, follow the drink mentality is so powerful. It's one of my favorite most simplest tools that I feel like we can never say enough you know when you when you really think about it when you when you pause and you zoom out and think about what has this given me and then what will be taken away it it really helps like you saying flipping that switch it it does the trick it's just hard I'm someone that's moving fast and very reactive it's just that pause that I think is a big uh like challenge for many people pausing enough to think about that stuff yeah yeah definitely and I think early days it's you've got so little time that you're not used to having the pause it's harder but it gets easier with time I agree and Chloe we've reached the rapid fire round if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less that would be fabuloso are you ready I am ready okay perfect what would you say to your younger self Chloe I would say, keep on trying, no matter what. What's your response when someone offers you a drink? I haven't actually been in that situation because of lockdown, but I imagine next time in that I'm in that situation, I'll say, yes, please, I'll have a sparkling water. Oh, perfect. What has recovery made possible for you? Everything, absolutely everything. When I was drinking, I was doing nothing, and now... I'm training for a marathon, I'm starting a new career, I'm happily single, not in a toxic relationship, and just growing every day. 
What's your favorite ice cream flavor, Chloe? All ice cream. I've never had a bad ice cream flavor. <laughs> yes. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Keep putting in the action. Keep stacking the days and doing the good stuff. And then the results will come if you just keep on going. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own? You may have to ditch the booze if line. You may need to ditch the booze if you're listening to podcasts about sobriety and recovery. Keep it simple. <laughs> Chloe, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate you and I'm glad that we get to share your story with all of our listeners. Thank you. Very well, Team Ari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you all that we have got your back. We are your safe container. Even if you're stuck on level two of Super Mario for what seems to be days or months, we're not going anywhere and we are here for you. And remember that the journey comes with not passing these levels. You're allowed to hit that save button when you feel stuck. You're allowed to take a break. You're allowed to breathe. And you're allowed to ask for help. I can recall multiple times where my fingers would be sore from the control remote. Remote control? Remote control. <laughs> my fingers would be sore. So I would pass it over to my brother and ask him to take it. I would ask for help. I'm following this crazy guy on Instagram. His handle is Iron Cowboy. He says that nothing great is ever done on our own. Even though sobriety is our journey, our sobriety is our responsibility, it takes a village. This guy is running. He's not running. This guy is racing and completing one Ironman per day for 100 days. He does the impossible. For some of us, this journey feels impossible sometimes. Just know that you don't have to have it figured all out today that you can ask for help, that you can have fun along the way, and that you don't have to see the big picture. Just lean into today and trust the process. I'm on my 28th month of consecutive sobriety and I still struggle. I still have to click the save button when I'm too tired and I still spend some days wondering if I'll be able to save Peach from Bowser. On those days, I give myself all of the grace. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, time has its own timeline. We can do this. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking. Most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. the one thing I can do. My response is always the same.
constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings. And it's these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts, thereby completing the cycle. If you can recognize this, you will be empowered to change your thinking.